Romance nerds, we have a treat for you this month. This month is all about publishing in Romancelandia, traditional publication, indie publication, hybrid publishers, Harlequin, and more. Oh my! And it's not just going to be Jen and I talking this month. Oh no. We have authors! This whole month long, we're going to be talking to a variety of authors all across the industry to get their takes and experiences on publishing within Romancelandia today. This first episode, we're going to do a deep dive into traditional publishing and what that can look like. And to kick it off, we have exciting news. We have an exciting duo joining us, Some um, a best-selling duo, Christina Lauren. Woo! Well, buckle in, guys, you sparkly listeners. It's time. Let's do this thing. Hey there, romance nerds. Welcome back to another episode of Raging Romantics. I'm Jen. I'm Jackie. And this podcast is brought to you by Northern Onondaga Public Library. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about all things related to Romance Landia. With that being said, please be aware that sometimes our material may be a little too sensitive for younger listeners. If you need to wait until they go to bed, we'll still be here for you. So without further ado, are you ready, Jen? Oh, I'm ready, Jackie. All right. Let's rage! Jen and I are so happy to introduce two very special guests to you today. May I present the one, or should I say the two, the only, Christina Lauren! (laughs) If you aren't familiar with Christina Lauren, this is best friend, best-selling, best-authoring duo, Christina Hobbs and Lauren Billings, who together have written What's the count now? 17, 18 books? Well, we've written 29. Oh my gosh. Wow. But we have, <laughs> yeah, I think it's 17 or 18 New York Times bestsellers. I don't know. I don't know. How wow. Many wow. That's so awesome. Um, and just so that people know who we're talking to, can you guys introduce yourselves individually so our audio listeners know who's who? Um, hello, I'm Christina. And this is Lauren. Thank you. All right. So, Christina, Lauren, can you take us back to the beginning? What is your origin story? I have heard tales (laughs) of a one-shot fanfic contest that centered around parkas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, um, So, so Lo and I met writing fan fiction. Uh, Lo had written in a couple different fandoms, but um, the Twilight fandom was my very first one. Um, so we each had stories online and low, and we were like reading each other's stories and Lo was putting together a panel on fan works for San Diego Comic-Con and she invited me to be on it. So we met in person there. It was the first time we'd ever met and we just got along really well. And, um, you know, fandom is super collaborative. Everybody does everything together. So she, um, you know, we were like, do you want to write something together? And there was this one shot contest, which if you know anything about fic, it's just like a little short, not even novella. I mean, it's probably like, I don't know, 5,000 words or I don't even know what it was. And they always have these different prompts. So in Twilight Phantom, you know, it was Edward. So everything is like a word. So it's like bliss word or dom word or whatever and this one was park award word and I didn't even know what that was at the time but um for anybody else who doesn't it is a it is um like slang for an uncircumcised penis (laughs) so 
So the, that was the only kind of qualification for this one shot was that the Edward in it had to have a parka. So Lo and I wrote this story about this uh, Edward who was like a Doctors Without Borders. And, you know, uh, it was, and we had so much fun writing it that when we finished it, we were like, do you want to write something else together? Do you want to write a book? And so like, we had no idea what we were doing, but we just decided to do that. And that was like, that was 11 years ago. So like the first time Lo and I met in person, she had just found out what- That was almost 13 years ago. Oh, okay. Yes. Cause we had, she had just found out she was pregnant with her youngest and hadn't really told anybody yet. And it is her birthday this on, week on oh, monday on the happy 7th birthday. she turns 12 on 12. march 7th and and i had just found out i was pregnant with her when christina and i oh. first met in person so yeah. that's so exciting it feels like it was yesterday and also like it was like yeah. 200 years ago <laughs> <laughs> that's really nice it's crazy to think that it's been that long already yeah, it, it doesn't seem possible. I don't actually know yeah. how that's true, but I always tell her daughter mm -hmm. that like, you know, I knew her before she was born and stuff, mm -hmm. which is weird, but. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh. Well, like Jackie said, this month we're talking about the different types of publishing in Romancelandia. Can you take us back to what it was like making that shift from the fanfic sphere into tra traditional publishing? Um, how did you guys end up doing it? Um, so we, this is Lauren, we had, you know, we didn't know anything about publishing. Christina worked for a junior high counseling office. I was a scientist. None of the day-to-day -day parts of our jobs told us anything about how to navigate publishing. And so we spent a lot of time on Google. We spent a lot of time on different blogs that were like dedicated to helping authors find agents and navigate that process. But it's a bear. And for anyone who is getting into writing and doesn't know how it works, um, it's just, a, it's a really daunting task. So you know, we finished a draft of our book, we figured out kind of how to query. Um, and we sent our, and I, I love spreadsheets. So I made the spreadsheet of like our A-list agents, B and C. And I knew that like the book might not be totally ready yet. So we, we sort of strategized to like query our, like not query our top 10 quite yet. Um, and that if we got nibbles on the first version we sent out that maybe it was ready, but we got a rejection within like, like an hour, like it was like a weekend too. So it was like, it wasn't even oh just God. like somebody rejected us quickly. It was that like somebody on a Saturday was like, yes, such a hard no, I'm going to answer right now. <laughs> and, um, I mean, you know, at the time it was gutting and we, I think we probably got like 40 rejections, but once, you know, each one of those was so informative, we really learned so much from every, every rejection and we got some revise and resubmits. And so over time we, we made it better. And then we finally signed with Holly Root, but, you know, I think that process and also having been in fandom, when you're writing fan fiction, people don't mince their words online. They tell you exactly what they think of your writing. And so I think in some ways that made the querying process a little easier for us just because we were used to rejection. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were and we had each to, other. Yeah. And like we knew we knew we liked what we wrote. And even if no one else liked it, we liked it, you know? Yep. Um, we should so. say this process took like almost a year. Yeah, I mean, we wrote, it took us a year to write a book and then it took us another year to get an agent. It took 2010 to write, 2011, we first queried in January and I think our, 
we didn't sign Holly until Halloween of 2011. Um, so it was long and slow, you know, and then we didn't sell a book until September of 2012. So it was a really long process. I really am glad it was that like that though, because when it, there are some people who get agented really fast to sell really fast, but when it happened to us, because there, there gets a point where you would sell your soul to the devil, not literally, like, you know, but you would do anything <laughs> to, get, to get an agent, anything to sell a book. And so then when it happened, we were so grateful but, you know, we had just, it taken us so long and we had worked so hard and we really understood like how lucky we were. So you guys mentioned that working as a duo helped you get through the process, you know, publishing, querying, signing contracts. It's all so stressful. How much do you think, I know it's, it's hard to hypothesize these sort of things, but do you think you would have published had you been writing individually and not together? I think Lowe probably would have. I don't know if I would have. Yeah, I, I think I would have. Is it still a stressful process even today? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Writing is really stressful because you're creating. I mean, it, think about sort of the ego it takes to say, I'm going to tell a story that people are going to want to pay money for, you know? So just from the very first step, you're putting pressure on yourself to do something really hard. And that's to entertain more than like 10 people, right? Um, and so I think that's why the blank page is very daunting for people. And also like the new idea, whenever we have an idea, it's so shiny at first because the idea of a book is perfect. It's when you sit down and you start writing it, that it's really like more stressful. So I think every single step of the process, even if you've done it a million times before, maybe especially if you've done it a million times before, you're like being faced with the prospect of recreating magic. And that's hard. Um, so it doesn't necessarily get easier overall, but aspects of it get easier, right? So like, you know, you can do it, you know, what it feels like to go through the hard parts and push through it. Um, you know, that revisions are actually kind of fun because you get to make this blob into something that's like shaped beautifully. Um, but yeah, it's hard talking about editing. I'm jumping around again, editing I feel like you said, Lauren, can be so daunting because you're literally paying somebody to go through your work with a fine tooth comb and like red pen, everything like the scariest English teacher ever. How do you guys get through that fear of editing? Um, you have a fear? I mean, I used to get really stressed about about because there's like revising, which, which is like one of our favorite things that even before we've turned it into our editor, although that does tend to be more fun because you have, you have a guide to lead you, you know, sometimes you've been in it so long, you can't quite tell where the problems are. Um, but it really is, it's like, as you're drafting, you start to see the, the holes. I, somebody said somewhere, I can't even remember, that like writing, it's like if you're making a, a boxed cake, it's like you start out with this like cake mix, but that's not it, that you still have to add everything and then you still have to bake it. And then even when it's baked, you still have to like frost it and do, you know, all of these things. And so I think there are some writers that don't like they like, they, they want to turn in a book and they're just like, here you go. And that is not us at all. We are like, tell us how to make this better. Tell us where we didn't get it right. Tell us where the holes are. We thrive on being given that instruction that pointed in the right direction. And then it just becomes sort of exciting because 
it's like watching a puzzle kind of fill itself in. And um, that, that used to scare me so much in the beginning. And now I, I love it so much. I had an editor tell me that don't think of it as getting rid of things. Think of it as making your work stronger so that it can like stand up on its own. And I think that's some of the best editing advice I've ever gotten. Yeah. And there are times you get a note. So maybe some editors are a little more uh, like not quite so compliment sandwich <laughs> or, you know, you can tell they're getting frustrated by the same thing, like throughout the manuscript. And so that is, can be hard. Um, but yeah, we, we, we really look forward to it. I mean, I do need a day when I get an editorial letter, I need a day I, I'll glance at it. And then I just have to like step away because it seems so, it seems so impossible when you first get that letter, especially when it's like 10 pages long. Especially when they're like, you need to remove this character and you need to <laughs> add in another arc for this character. And you're just like, I wouldn't even know how to start. I think yeah. those kinds of edits are hard, but um, I don't know. I think it's really fun because if you think of the whole thing is like, it's all made up. Like, why can't you just make up a different aspect of it? Yeah. I think that makes it easier. You don't have to get so attached to it being a certain way. Do you remember, I think it was Anne one day, I think it's when we were writing autobiography, we were like, we can't do this. I remember what it was. And she was like, you are the gods of your own universe. You can do this whatever is, you want. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. I love that. That's a mm -hmm. great sentiment. That's really inspiring. So it sounds like a lot of this stuff is obviously really stressful stuff. Does working as a duo help you get through the whole process of everything? Oh, yeah. I mean, I honestly don't know how people write books alone hmm. um you know I wrote for fun most of my life as a hobby and then I met Christina and we collaborated and I mean every collaboration every collaborative relationship has to like work out the kinks and stuff but I feel like the way we work together um and our personalities have always meshed really well so I kind of can't imagine doing it alone. I mean, I think, I think from, from the beginning where you have someone to talk it out with to the drafting where things get hard and tricky and you have somebody who can like brainstorm to like one of us is stuck, but the other is not stuck. And so we can work our way through it all the way to like talking through revisions, dealing with the stress of, 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 having a book launch, which is always stressful, no matter how many you've done. And then like going to signings, like, you know, when you are at a signing, you have this person right there. That's, you know, she can talk while I'm writing their name, or I can talk while she's doing something else. And it's like this team effort. I just do not know how authors do it alone. It feels yeah. so lonely. Like writing can be very isolating mm -hmm. and you're putting your ideas down. And there's, I mean, even with the two of us, there are times where we're like, is anyone going to read this book and like it? <laughs> but at least I have one other person who's reading it and liking it. And she has the same. When you're writing alone, you're kind of just like hoping someone else out there feels strongly about it the way you do. We never have to worry about that. We always have that person who feels just as committed as we do. Yeah. That was yeah. yeah. I love that. That's amazing. It's like a tag team. Yeah. It is. It really you guys is. could be your own wrestling duo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we always say um, being a co-author is like part of our superpower because there's so many jobs to being an author that besides just the writing, 
there's so many parts and we are good at different things. And so we just somehow know which ones to tackle, which is just our sort of like language we've learned, I guess, over the mm-hmm. last 12 years. What would you say is each other's greatest strength? Uh, I would say Christina is an amazing storyteller. She's, she's very good at knowing how to pace a book, what, when we need to have something happen, how, like how much action has to go into it. Um, she's really good at that sort of the like structural piece of a book and planning out kind of the pacing, the arc and the storytelling. If it was up to me, I would be writing two people in a room, just having an intimate conversation and making out for like 400 pages. Like I definitely am not good at putting enough stuff in a book. And she's very good at being like, we need more things happening in this story. Okay. See, I think Lo's just good at everything. She just is. She's just like, she's a beautiful writer. She's good at finding holes in things. And um, she can make me feel things with her writing in ways that, like other people cannot. I, we had the opportunity to talk with you guys at our book club before Christmas and we read in a holidays and I completely agree because the end scene in that book made me cry and (laughs) for a book to make me cry is like, it's big. I cry a lot, but for a book to make me cry. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge, like emotional crier. Like there's not a lot of things I like watch or read that will make me cry. But even the things that like Lo has written that I have read over and over and over again still get to me every single time. She's just like, I mean, even just today we were going, I was, I, she sent like uploaded a chapter and I was reading it. And I just had this moment where I read this line. It was just a, it was just a, the way the character was talking about if this description was a transcript. And I just had this moment, like my brain cannot come up with these like this concept it just is not where my brain goes automatically and she just does it all the time just over and over again all these sentences that are just like so beautiful but I feel like I mean you know and this is why we work well together because it's easy for me to write pretty sentences but it's not always easy for me to make sure that there's an actual story there you know and so I think like having two people working together bringing those strengths in where it's like one person is really good at like making sure stuff happens and the other person is good at like describing how those things happen you know it's (laughs) like that's you know and I mean Christina's like we have so something wilder comes out May 17th and um it is the most fun book we've ever written together. It's like an adventure romance. So if you like the Goonies, if you like Indiana Jones, if you like Romancing the Stone and you like Christina Lauren books, this is totally the book for you. But a lot of it, so it takes place in the Southwest, the desert, the high desert in Utah. So outside of Moab. And that's near where Christina's from. And the descriptions in the book are beautiful. And that is all her. Like she's so good at descriptive work um, and just like, emoting a feeling of like coming out of a tent in the morning and the air is really crisp and the sky is already bright blue and there's these red rocks contrasted against it and it's very visual yeah you know so but what they're feeling I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I was very lucky and got approved for an arc of something wilder and it was so fun what Lauren you said it's the most most fun book you guys have written. I love all of your books. I will admit I'm a fan girl, but this book, it, 
it's exactly how you described it. It's Indiana Jones meets like Forrest Fenn meets Josh Gates meets romance. And it was just, it was a perfect blend of everything that we just talked about. So I highly recommend this book in advance of it coming out. Thank you. Thank you. That is awesome. We had and so much fun writing it. Thank you for writing horse scenes that were accurate. I, I compete oh. on horseback and do so horse nice accurate horse scenes in a romance book. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lo has, they have a horse. I Her daughter horse. is a horse girl. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So let's switch gears completely. Can you yeah. guys, because we're consumers, we have no idea of a lot of how the backdoor stuff with publishing, especially traditional publishing works. Can you guys walk us through what contracts look like? Um, multiple book deal, single book deal. Like, I know it's a huge subject, but even just, we genuinely have no idea how this works. <laughs> how? <laughs> Uh, sure. So usually when you sell a book, um, an editor, your agent will present it to an editor or in some publishing houses now, I think they take unrepresented um, manuscripts, but most of the like big five, is it now four, four. will take, um, will take only take from a represented manuscript. And if the editor likes it, so the agent will send the manuscript to the editor at the, let's say Simon & Schuster, because that's our publisher. Let's say um, our first editor was Adam Wilson. So Holly took it to Adam and said, hey, I know you're looking for romances that are steamy. I uh, thought you might like this. So Adam read it really fast because he had been sort of given this instruction from his um, publisher that like, this is what we want. So he read it. And if he likes it, he will then take it into an acquisitions meeting, which is basically like, you know, he presents it to the editorial team and says, this is what this book is about. This is the author's platform. This is why I think we should buy it. If everybody agrees, he makes an offer. The agent will counter it. The editor will come back with a number and hopefully you agree on some payment terms to buy the rights to the book. From there, um, you've agreed on what the price it, the, the sale price is. So the, the author will get a certain amount of money for this book. So let's just say 50,000. I'm just going to like throw that number out. So the way it works is the contract um, takes a little while to put together because the agent has to go through it. It has to go through legal in both places. But once it comes to the author, it has certain terms. Um, one is the payment terms, which says, and usually payment is done in three pieces. It's upon signing of the contract, you get one third. Um, when you delivery and acceptance of the manuscript, you get another third, and I'll describe what that is in a second. And then the final third is on publication day. Delivery and acceptance is basically the final version of the manuscript. And that means different things to different editors in our experience. For some editors, it's when they get the copy edited version. For some, it's when you just turn in like a full revised draft, but like pre-copy edited. Um, but usually it's when the book is in its final form you get a payment for like turning in the manuscript that has been accepted by the publisher. So they're saying this is fine. Um, and then there are other things in a contract that you are agreeing to, like we signed um, for our first several books, we did world rights for pub foreign publication rights. And that meant that Simon & Schuster held the translation rights for our work. So they would then sell the foreign rights on our behalf. 
And when we did that, what it means is that if Simon & Schuster has foreign rights, that they get 25% of every um, foreign deal and we get 75% of that money. But when, remember you got an advance that was 20, 30% on signing, 30% on delivery and acceptance and 30% on publication, that's a loan. So it's not actually them saying, here's free money, now go publish your book. It's them saying, we believe we are going to make at least this much money, at least $50,000 in sales. So we're giving you a loan of $50,000 so you can like support yourself and your family while you're working on this. But we expect to get that money back in sales. So one of the ways they get that is in sales, when the book is out, they get a percentage of the, the money. Um, and I can explain how that's broken down if you want. I think all this is really interesting, but it's fine. So, um, so they get a percentage, they get a portion of the sales of every book, but then if they have foreign rights that even if 75% of it comes to us, we first have to pay off that loan. So let's say we have a $50,000 advance and France buys rights for 5,000. Well, our portion of that 5,000 first goes to pay back our loan. We don't see any of that until the, the um, advance is paid back, right? So that's a big thing I think people need to understand is the, the advances, they might be really huge. If somebody's getting a million dollar advance, that's great. They still have to sell enough books for the publisher to cover a million dollars, right? So if you see somebody who's got a huge advance and then the book tanks, it's gonna be really hard for them to sell another book. Um, another thing that you might see in your contract is an option clause, which basically says that anything within the same genre that you're publishing in, um, you have to show that next book to that publisher and give them the right first right of refusal. So they get to see it first and decide if they want to buy it before you can take it to any other publisher. Um, I think those are like the most important. It talks about like how your agents get paid talks about like audio rights, what they can and can't do, copyright, that kind of stuff. But the big things that people mostly care about are advances yeah, and yeah. royalty structure. And how many books you owe if you sold like one book, two books, three yeah. books, whatever. Thank you. I feel like those are the big shiny things that like the advance, like you were saying, it's the big shiny thing that everybody's like, oh, it sold for a hundred thousand dollars. And it's like, it's great, but you have to sell books in order yeah. to yeah and but you I don't mean, have to pay that back if no. it doesn't you don't have to pay it back but like lo said you, you're gonna have a hard time getting somebody to buy another book if you weren't able to earn out the one that you had before it and keep in mind that i mean it is a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy right because if you sell a book for twenty five hundred dollars you're not going to have a ton of marketing money dedicated to you if you sell a book for $250,000, they're going to put a lot more money behind it because they've already made an investment with that level advance to market your book at a certain level. So like, it's much easier to get publicity for bigger advanced books because they've already committed to spending more money on it internally as well as in the advance. Um, but then you'll have this sleeper hit that had like a tiny advance, yeah. but just like took off in word of mouth. Yeah. Also, so, I think there's more like advertising and things like that in hardcover versus like trade, mm -hmm. and, but that can vary from author to author. Yeah. It'll be interesting too, to see how things, if things start changing with the effect that social media, like TikTok has had, especially on the romance publishing industry. So this mm -hmm. month we're going to be looking at traditional versus indie pubs and kind of like the whole sphere of that. And 
I mean, we saw it with, for instance, Ruby Dixon, who's, this is also a stand account for Ruby Dixon through Raging Romantics, mm-hmm. but just how that blew up last summer and she signed with Berkeley because of it, Yeah, at least through Ruby Dixon, the pen name. I mean, she has also, that book had already been super successful yeah. before. Yeah. I mean, there are, how many are, are in the series? It's like 20 something, right? 24 in Ice Planet Barbarians, then yeah. there's like 19 in Ice Home and yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if this is not TikTok came in at a fantastic time because she had already had a huge amount of success with that series. And then social media came in and was like, don't forget about this. And then it just like blew it up all over again. So, but also I mean, she has an agent too. Yeah. So, um, you know, some people, if whether they're, if they're indie publishing might think they don't need an agent um, and you might not, but like our agent is the best decision we ever made. Yeah, she's, she's but yeah, yeah, but like a bad agent, uh, like no agent is better than a bad agent. Mm-hmm. Man, this conversation could just like go on forever, <laughs> go on and on. <laughs> Do you guys have any resources you would especially recommend to somebody who's trying to get into traditional publishing or just to understand it? Nathan Bransford. Yeah, Nathan okay. Bransford has a great website. Okay, we it was like a bible for us. We were on there all the time. Um, and then like low, she, you know, she put on the FanWorks panel, but she, since we, you know, after we um, were published or maybe like it, once we had Holly started doing kind of a, like an ask an agent panel where um, at Comic-Con where she would bring up um, agents because, you know, you send your book out and you sort of feel like you're sending it just out into the universe. And we would have given anything to just be able to sit with an agent for 20 minutes and ask them questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those, I mean, like definitely look for those kinds of panels. If you can find a convention near you, there's like writing communities, writing resources everywhere, but Nathan Bransford's a good website to go to. He's a former agent. He's written books as well. Now I think he's doing freelance editing and he, so he's continually updating his website and his resources page with like current information about the industry. It's really useful, but also just Google. I mean, Here's the thing, like Google has so much information for aspiring writers. And I think a lot of times people are like, I don't even know where to start, but like Google is right there. Yeah. Google how to get published and yeah. you will find so much information. Yeah. I've had so many friends like set me up with friends of friends for coffee dates to talk about how to get published. And I show up and I'm like, you could honestly have saved us both like an hour and a half and just Googled how to get published. You know, there's so much more information online than I can share of our coffee date. (laughs) That's people. We have the same thing at being a librarian where people are like, Oh, you must know everything. I'm like, I just know how to Google really well guys. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Google is great. Yes. Google knows everything. Um, so writing is a craft, like we just talked about and you guys have I feel like you've really mastered your craft. Did you take any special classes? Do you have special degrees or have you done anything along that line to really work on your writing craft? I mean, I did not start writing for fun until I was in my thirties. When I started writing fanfic, I sort of like, that's what taught me how to write. Um, And uh, I, I mean, at the very beginning, I wasn't even like putting the quotation marks in like, you know what I mean? Like, does the comma go before? after you know um 
and and fanfic readers will definitely tell you when you get that wrong and I'm so glad because I did not make the same mistake twice so I didn't Lo has written her entire life like she was writing fanfic when she didn't know that it was fanfic she was writing you know like you know days of our lives um stuff in notebooks at home in Berkeley and I didn't it was the first the first thing I ever wrote was like put out in front of people but I would say, you know, even if I did take writing classes and I did like study it more, you have now that you are a published author, you have definitely committed yourself to improving your craft. I mean, you have read on writing, you've read like a, multiple times, you've read what was the story something one that you read? You've read a bunch of craft books and you oh, yeah. read and you read specifically outside of your genre to improve your writing in general. So I think that that's like, that's the way that you, once you're writing, you can improve the most by reading a ton. Yeah, like I think, so, you know, I had no writing training at all. You can't, nobody can teach you how to write, but you can become a better writer. Every book you read, every, you know, conversation you have, all of these things that you do. This year, I specifically set a goal that I, wanted to be like successful in my writing and stuff. And I was not going to be the reason that that did not happen. So I like had this list of things that I wanted to do, like reading a ton of books, um, going to therapy, you know, all of these things to help me. I did not want to fail because of me. So everything you can do and you have to refill the well, like sometimes you'll hear people that, you know, say, oh, I don't have time to read. And it's like, if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write. Because how can you know what's happening in the world of books if you are not reading? You just can't. Yeah. And you can definitely tell when you've read a book from somebody who's just not super plugged, in. plugged into the world they're writing about. Yeah. That you doesn't know? mean you have to read every romance book, but you should read some. You should read the ones that are popular, the ones that aren't. You should be reading other genres, you know, mm -hmm. you can learn something from every book you pick up. Yeah. Even if you don't like it. <laughs> yeah. You can't write a Regency if you've never read a Regency. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that jumps perfectly to the next question about publishing trends. Do you guys pay attention to them? For instance, um, the Honey Don't List, when that came out, Chip and Joanna Gaines, Magnolia House was really, I feel like at the peak of its popularity. And what's really funny is Honey Don't List kind of like pushes back mm -hmm. against that we felt like as readers so do you guys find yourselves following popular publishing trends or are you just kind of like rebels without a cause being like I want to write whatever I want at this moment I mean I think we do both because mm -hmm. you can't be publishing the number of books we have and not be part of that conversation at all I think that's super douchey if you're just like I'm just gonna write whatever I want to write you know like that's not <laughs> Hey, that's not how it works because you need to know, especially in a genre that's as sort of communal as romance, you need to know what people are doing and what they're talking about. Part of that is because romance publishes really fast. So we tend to be at the forefront of social conversations about big things and you will immediately get left in the dust if you're not paying attention to what people are talking about and writing about and what the trends are. That's just like the way romance is. But within that, even, even knowing what the trends are, what people are interested in talking about, you also have to write the story that is in your head. And I think it's, it's a disservice to your own writing, your own storytelling, and to the reader if you try and say, okay, 
I see that fake dating is really big right now. So I'm going to write a fake dating book and make sure I have, you know, the sister is a lesbian and the father is a something, something. And we have this, you know, all these check boxes that you go through just to make sure that you're ticking every box and making every reader happy. I think it's really dangerous to try and write to an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need to reflect the world that we live in. So for me, like that's a really diverse book, you know, we have to have diversity in our books because that's the world. But I think you have to be really careful when you pick and choose the kinds of, um, themes that you include just cause you want to satisfy a certain reader. So like, for example, for us, something wilder is not a standard romance book i mean it has a happily ever after it has a romance structure it has it has total romance in it but it has a lot of um like romantic suspense elements too with the adventure and i don't think if we were looking at what people were doing in romance we would have written that book if we were only thinking about that do you agree with me christina like oh yeah we were like we need to do something different we got to break out of this quiet story that's happening yeah yeah if you try to write to the trends you'll always be behind yeah because the books you're seeing now were written 18 months ago yeah a year ago at least we just we we just wanted romance to take some like risks and do some like fun exciting things to show that it isn't I think sometimes people think they know what romance is but there are so many movies that people would not think are romances and you're like yeah that's a romance Lo and mm-hmm. I always say that Tangled is a rom-com like an adventure romance <laughs> I <should> it. yeah <laughs> it totally mm-hmm. is yeah so you know sometimes people are like I don't like romance and it's like uh also okay. like Red Notice with The Rock and Ryan Reynolds that came out yes. on Netflix recently yes. that, that is-, is a rom-com yes. it is a romance between Ryan Reynolds and The Rock that is absolutely a rom-com. But a friend romance. And it totally yes. is. But it's, it's an enemies to buddies, right? Yep. And yep. the structure follows it exactly. So I feel like a lot of times those same beats that we use a lot are used in lots of different genres, you know? Yep. Um, and I think where romance for me gets really boring is when it feels like people are just, tro- they're picking tropes that they like and mashing them together. And they're not thinking about who are these people, what what excites me about this journey they're on? You know, they're just like, well, I want fake dating and I want office romance and I want brother's best friend go. And it's like, that just ends up feeling like every trope salad before. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I feel like to go back to something wilder, I think you guys, something that's fun about your books is you don't stick to that same thing. Every time, every book feels like something different and something wilder, I think is an excellent point in that because you guys have never written anything like this before and it was so fun to read it really was I keep saying it but it was just I sat down and I read it in one sitting awesome I love that I mean I think there will be readers of ours who came in at you know honeymooners or Mm -hmm. Josh and Hazel and they're like what is this this is crazy but I also think if they go into it expecting it to be different they will love it I think if they want like two people sitting in a room together, like falling in love. That's not what this book is. But we also, we were coming out of a pandemic and we didn't want to write a book that took place inside. We needed it to be outside and like on an adventure. Um, So it'll be interesting. I think people will either love that book or they'll be like, 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing, but I loved it. Jen and I did a whole podcast series devoted to Cowboys and where did the Cowboys go? And I think this one is a perfect addition to the cowboy loving romance sphere. That's awesome. It'll be good. Well, and when we first started writing it, it was, you know, we gender swapped it in the, when we actually started writing, when we first started writing, Leo was the like tour guide and stuff. Um, But, you know, we'd, we'd had this conversation about, you know, um, being home and the, you know, like Lo has two smallish kids. My daughter's older, she's 21, but it's like, she had to do her job and school and take care of them. And, you know, all of these things. And she was like, I, I just, I don't want to write a woman who has put her whole life on hold and stuff. And we switched it. And as soon as we switched it, it was like all the pieces started Mm -hmm. to fall into place. And I love Lily so much that she's just such a hard worker and so tough. And I, I love her so much. She feels like she could be any of my friends who run the rodeo circuit. She really does. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, we have one big question before we finish. Why romance? I mean, I think both Christina and I are hopeful, optimistic people. And so those are the kinds of stories we gravitate to as readers. And I mean, every writer is a reader first, right? So I, I picked up romance as soon as I had finished like Ramona the Pest. I was like, okay, but now I want a book where there's a boy in it and he's cute, you know? And like, I think, um, you know, we just started like gravitating to that. So it's just always been in our blood. I think if you are an optimist and you love love stories, it's just a natural, it's a natural choice. Yeah. I mean, we're swooners. Mm-hmm. We just, we just are. <laughs> yes, we are. And we want everybody to kiss in anything that they're in. So yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you're watching a movie and you're like, okay, okay, great. Now kiss. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you guys have anything else you would like to say about your amazing new book coming out on May 17th? I think, I think for us, we just really, you know, when a reader comes up to us and tells us that they were going through something hard or stressed or whatever, and they read our book and for the, that like six hours or whatever, you know, however long it took them to read it, that they were able to escape. That is what we really want to give people because that book really was an escape for us at a time where we were sort of just sitting at home um and we just really hope that they have fun when they read it Mm -hmm. it's really nice well I think there's no doubt of that I think people are going to love it and if they don't I will throw it at them and make them (laughs) (laughs) I hope they feel the fun that we had while writing it yeah Jen do you have any final questions for this dynamic ready it's not a question but I am just listening to this and at this interview ended up being a lot sweeter than I expected it to be and you know you guys are strangers to me but I'm just really happy you guys found each other that's kind of like where I'm getting this I'm really happy your anniversary is coming up and I I hope you guys have a really good time thank Thank you you. yeah we are super lucky we're super super lucky we always say this is like we have really happy marriages and we have really great kids and this is still like the most functional relationship of our lives so Well, I'm really happy for you guys. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I'm smiling at you right now, even if you can't see it. 
<laughs> we we really are like we when we wrote um soulmate equation at the end of it the acknowledgments we say like we just wrote a book about soulmates and like really like we feel like we're each other's soulmates it doesn't just mean the person that you fall in love with um I cannot imagine my life without Lo in it I'm so lucky and that is the most beautiful sentiment we've ever had on this podcast. So thank you so much. <laughs> I think that, okay. I have one really quick nitpicky question before we go. I just finished soulmate equation. Is it a pride and prejudice retelling? It is inspired in the beginning okay. by pride and prejudice. Okay. Yes. It's not, it's not meant to be a retelling, but there is a lot of Darcy to be found in river, especially in the way that he disregards her. I was really hoping for a hand flex moment, but it's okay that we didn't get that. <laughs> well, we did get him taking her blood and we do get a hand flex in the phlebotomy I mean, scene. It's so so that, go back and read it. And I will. Lo <laughs> wrote the moment where he does the blood draw. And I was like, this is the sexiest thing I have ever read. And he's there sitting in a, in a, like essentially a doctor's office. So <laughs> That's talent. Blood drives will never be the same again, yes. folks. Also, oh. we're writing Fizzy's book right now. So for people who read Soulmate Equation and have asked us a million times if Fizzy will get her own book, we were not planning it at all. When We would have left ourselves a few more <laughs> avenues to explore, but <laughs> there's definitely things we would have changed if we had. Yeah. yeah. It's but... not a sequel, but um, it picks up like three years later. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's something else to look forward to. So thank you guys so much, Christina, Lauren, Lauren, Christina, dynamic writing, best friend duo. Thank you so much for joining us on Raging Romance. Cheer and go pre-order something wilder right now. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Oh, that was a lot. And I'm sorry I fangirled so hard. I really couldn't help myself. Well, they deserve every bit of fangirling that you have within you. They're so incredibly kind. That was great. It was a good interview. Thank yeah. you again to Christina Lauren for that. And they're both so knowledgeable about mm -hmm. the industry. That's something I've realized as we've talked to all these authors is that they are all so knowledgeable about what they do. Mm -hmm. I guess you have to be. Yeah, you have to be. <laughs> have to it's, be. it's really admirable. I mean, to be successful, I guess you have to be knowledgeable in what you do. Yeah. And they really are. Mm -hmm. So thank you again, Christina and Lauren. And thank you so much. Yeah, we hope you guys learned a lot. If you, dear listener, however, are a little confused about everything that was going on in that interview, let's do a, a hopefully brief breakdown yeah, we'll see. about what it means to be traditionally published. This was something I personally wasn't very aware of until I started going down my own like publishing rabbit hole journey thing. And I think it's something that the general consumer isn't terribly aware about unless I was only I was the only one with my head in the sand this entire time. It's possible. This month, you will continuously hear us referring to things as traditional or trad publishing versus indie or independent or even hybrid publications. Mm -hmm. When we're referring to something as being traditionally published, this means that the author in that book has jumped through a very, very rigorous set of hoops to get their books out into the market and into your hands as the reader. This process of being traditionally published is typically what the publishing industry has really been like for the last mm -hmm. 200 years or so since typesetting and, um, you know, like the book industry that we talked about in our History of the Romance Landia has been. There's been a lot of discourse, especially within the last five years or so, about what is, quote unquote, the best method of publishing in today's book industry. And with the traditional publishing sphere feeling so archaic at times, yeah, sometimes it can be understandable. So it's the same system they started with, basically, when they started publishing yeah, books. Yeah, it's very much so 
a lot of the times an old boys club. Ugh. I know. Boys. There's a lot of – we're going to talk about issues with publishing in the next episode, in the next full-length episode, more in depth. But there is still a lot of issues with gatekeeping and mm. flooding the market and – um it can be hard. Yep. It's That's long story short. It's very hard to get traditionally published. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, let's just break down what traditional publishing looks like. Firstly, author has to write a book. I think I think that goes without saying. It'd be weird to publish something without having written anything. Yeah. I will say it isn't always the case, though. For instance, nonfiction writing, you're going to have more of an idea and an outline of research before you actually go forward into the publishing, um, and you're going to pitch your idea. I have no idea what that looks like. I only briefly did nonfiction publishing when it came to my like master's thesis, so I'm not going to talk about that. Also, if you're a famous person like Dolly Parton <laughs> or, I don't know, some- Dolly Parton is not listening to us. big name. Yeah, no. Um, you might get approached by a publishing house to, like, oh, to, do a to write a story, yeah. like when James Patterson and Dolly Parton just did mm-hmm. that collaboration- I'm sure James went to Dolly and he was like, hey, you want to write a book together? Maybe it was one of his ghostwriters. Anyways, for now, let's say you're a debut author sitting down at your computer. First and foremost, write the book. Finish the book. Then you have to edit the book. You can either do the first edit yourself if you're confident in your editing abilities, or you can hire an editor to do it for you. So once you've gone through that editing process, at least for the first round, um, you're going to start your querying process. Querying is daunting. It can be heartbreaking, and it's truly more of a marathon than a sprint. And querying refers to the very rigorous system by which an author is pitching and submitting their book idea, their book manuscript, to an agent. And agents think of them as the middleman between you, the author, and your end goal, the publisher. Your agent is the industry professional who is there to do the legwork for you. They're the ones helping you get further edits. They're the ones helping you develop your story until it's as strong as it can be. They're ensuring you're writing if you're on contract, that you're publishing, that you're writing more. And to get an agent, you have to do a few very specific things that this was the part I had no idea about until Mm -hmm. I was going through my own journey. So you need a query letter. Think of this as like an authorial cover letter. This is your one page pitch for your book, like 500 words or less, pitch for your book. It's going to include all the pertinent details about what you wrote, including word count, genre, age range, buzzwords, what makes your book unique, marketing. Sometimes they'll ask you for an author bio, etc. all in one page. And then you're going to need a synopsis. Not every agent you submit to requires a synopsis, but I've learned it's always good to have one on hand just in case. This synopsis is, again, your entire book. Boiled down to, you guessed it, one to two pages. That's it. Whether you've written 50,000 words or over 100,000 words, this is going to be hard. But you have to get it down to one page. And there's a lot of different um, stuff out there, like different resources out there to help you. So I will make sure to link a couple of those in the show notes if you're stuck on this step of the journey. We should have books about this too at the library. Yeah, we definitely do. Um, We buy them every year because it's like... a new market every year it feels like yeah yeah um there's the is it publisher's marketplace the book so yeah something like that yeah there's a lot of help out there though there is Mm -hmm. there's there's a lot um after you get that synopsis you're also going to need a sample of your work most of the time agents will ask for a specific range for when you submit your query it can be the first chapter first 10 pages first 50 pages whatever but make sure that those at least are ready to send off and that if the agent comes back to you you're ready to send off the entire manuscript like within a moment's notice and something else you're going to have to do is a list of agents to query to. Because I hate to break it to you, but if you think you're going to send off one query and be done, I'm sorry, no. We hear horror stories about hundreds and hundreds of queries getting sent off before one yes comes back. Um, Christina Lauren said that be prepared to send off dozens and dozens. It's 
like I said, a marathon. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're moving on to the next step. You submitted your query, however many you sent out, and miracle of miracles, you hear back from an agent requesting a full. This doesn't mean you have an agent. This just means you have somebody interested in reading through your story and sitting down and like going through it to see if they want to represent you. If they like it, they'll make an offer of representation. If they don't, they'll pass and it's back to the drawing board. Let's fast forward and say, yay, another miracle. You have an agent. You were offered representation that is fair and they understand your story and you agree to the terms and you really are just vibing with this agent. You're now an agent and author, which does not mean you are published. The process between getting an agent and getting published is pretty fluid, but for the most part, once you're agented, you'll probably go through some more edits until your agent starts submitting your book to the publishing houses. And if a publishing house um, puts in an offer to publish your book, then you can get ready to celebrate but it's still not in the hands of the public. Once your book is at a publisher and has been accepted, it's gonna have to go through even more edits, developmental edits, line edits, copy edits. So developmental is to make sure that your story is really sound and you probably will have gone through this already with your agent or pre-agent. Line edits will ensure flow and style and voice. Copy edits, correct spelling, grammar, syntax, punctuation, hyphenation, et cetera. And Jen's eyes I can see are glazing over, so I'm gonna fast forward through a lot of this. <laughs> Basically, this can take months to years to complete. As we learned in our mini-sodes, or we're gonna learn in our mini-sodes this month, it can take upwards of like two years, just between the time you get an agent and between the time your book is ready to go out to market. It's not one and done, it is not a quick thing. Traditional publishing is, it moves at its own glacial pace. Mm -hmm. And once more, if we fast forward to, yay, you've been published, yay, your book's been released, what happens then? Well, once your book gets released, and this is something that I, again, didn't really become aware of until I was actually like searching librarian things, is that publishers aren't the ones selling you your books directly to the readers, right? There's a whole process in between. And I really recommend the book Merchants of Culture, The Publishing Business in the 21st Century by John B. Thompson. He gets a little into himself and like he's a little full of himself, but it's still got some good information. But basically the premise is that once a book is published, it goes to wholesale distributors and warehousing. From there, it will either go through the wholesale with companies like Ingram, which is what we use here at the library, and be distributed to institutions who buy physical or electronic copies to give to library patrons or um, to booksellers. And to sum it all up, let's just do this really quick. Author creates content. Content is rep by agent. Content is acquired by publisher. Publisher undergoes content development, quality control design, printing, and sales and marketing. Content is then distributed in bulk to warehouses and distribution centers. Libraries and booksellers purchase bulk through warehouses and distribution centers like wholesalers. Libraries lend their copies out. Booksellers sell their copies on. Reader gets book. Are you still with me, Jen? Whew. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I, did, I, I was just trying to skim the surface. So This takes longer than human babies. Yeah, it does. It's got its whole own gestation period. Mm -hmm. It's wild. And that's all before the reader even has the book. Going through my own publishing journey really made me appreciate the books that are out there in the world even more. And sometimes I do have questions about who saw value in a specific book being traditionally published. <laughs> James Patterson. Hey, he was good in the beginning. He was. He was. And now he's just become his own brand. Yeah. But then you have to remember that books are technically a luxury item. And as yeah. such, their value is dictated. I'm sorry, I'm going to a little I mini know. I mean, I know technically it's luxury, but like. 
They're dictated by capitalism and consumerism. We are privileged as consumers to be able to have so many books at our disposal. And right now with book bans going on, I think it just goes to show that we are really lucky to be able to have as many, like an option, a wide Mm -hmm. variety of books as we do. But we as readers, we as consumers ascribe the value to the books that we read and we purchase. And there are so many different kinds of readers and consumers out there that Again, do there's a book for everyone. I feel like it's publishers that set those prices and we just suck paying it. They do set the prices. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's like a, a push and pull, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Obviously, we're going to pay whatever we want for Nora Roberts, but those kind of prices are not going to necessarily be tolerated with a like a newer author you don't yeah, trust yet. That's true. With traditional publishing, um, a lot of the prices are set in specific like ways. So mm-hmm. a lot of hardback adult books will be yeah. set in like... 25 26 29 mm-hmm. up to 32.99 in u.s dollars ya books will typically be in the teens yeah because <laughs> they're in their teens uh-huh, uh-huh. um and ebooks ebooks tend to be somewhere around like 9.99 10.99 well, it really depends because yeah. i've seen ebook prices creep up yeah like i know in the beginning they were like oh books will be so much cheaper but really you have to pay the author too yeah so like you can't really expect to buy a nora roberts book for like 4.99 no you, you just can't it's not gonna happen and hopefully we'll be able to get into it a little next time if we have time because i really do want to talk about royalties yeah that's especially when it comes to indie authors because how much your distribution center retains and how mm. much your publisher retains. Yeah. So like CeeLo was talking about um, the advance that they got, right? And it's not free money mm-hmm. because that advance is used against how much your yeah. book makes with an X amount of period. And you'll mm-hmm. never have to pay back the advance like they said. Unlike with indie authors, sometimes you're going to have to pay back if you get a return on a book. Mm-hmm. And that's been a whole big thing lately. Yeah. Um, so we as consumers, while we don't set the price, I think that a smart publisher will realize that hey readers won't buy a book if it's x price Yeah, so it's like push and pull yeah exactly they know what we're willing to tolerate and some things it's just like you got to suck up and yeah yeah but yeah i think we as consumers i think we've started taking more of a stand with traditional publishers i think especially with things like own voices and bipoc creators you have to because they're not we have to to otherwise and have they really listened to us or are they just paying like face value i don't think we can really tell yet it's gonna be a time thing yeah. In some ways, I do see a lot of change. I was thinking about how really in only a decade we're seeing so many LGBT books. Yeah. Like, that's been a huge change because even 10 years ago, the little bit that was published, it was purely, like, coming out stories or it was, like, this trauma porn. Yeah. And now there's so many choices. Especially in Romance Landia, there's, yeah. like, almost none. We'll say, though, again, we've kind of talked about this, YA and romance seems to be the genres where that cares about. Yeah. I don't necessarily see that same kind of progress in other genres yeah. or other kinds of like literary fiction iffy so i i'm hopeful but at the same time if you don't keep pressuring publishers to do that i feel like things will quickly backslide right we as the reader have buying power and in the end they are they are marketing mm-hmm. their books and they are trying to sell their books so i really think we've started to develop a reader's voice mm-hmm. and i think we have more power than we realize we just need to stand up to the to the big big old boys and publishing mm-hmm. well yeah because they still want to make money at the end of the day yeah i know they have lots of pretty sentiments about oh we just want to pass the love of stories on and it's no they want to make money yeah they want money <laughs> it's the it's the authors who are like no we want to sell our books and we want readers to have our books and there's still this whole stigma of traditional versus indie publishing yeah. and like there's this um um 
vocational awe mm, that's the word yeah, i'm looking okay. for when it comes to being traditionally published and we should probably talk about that next time too um because like when you think traditionally published you just have this automatic like yes you're an author you're an amazing writer and all this sort of stuff and like i said sometimes i'm like y- you got traditionally published with this book yeah okay i mean sometimes it's just who you know yeah exactly like, it's very much a connections game at the same time too yep yep So to really wrap it all up, I really just wanted to go into this whole process because like I said before, I don't think the typical consumer is all too aware. I don't even know if they really care (laughs) about how much work is put into a book. We always marvel at how many books are out there, you know, just in terms of traditionally published and how much variety we can have, like Jen and I were just saying. But really, it's amazing that we have so much choice at all. I mean, not only do we live in a very like free speech world, but we live in a world where there are so few agents and so few publishers really for how many authors and writers and manuscripts are actually out there. For every one agent, there's hundreds of thousands of potential authors. And that's where we can really run into some big issues. But we are out of time, so we'll have to leave that for our next episode. Apparently next episode is going to be a huge episode. (laughs) Now, don't think you have to wait another two weeks to hear from us again, because this whole month we have special minisodes coming out. Jen, want to tell the folks what we're doing? I would love to, because I really love this little mini series we're kind of doing in our little mini episodes. We really wanted to talk to some local authors who are indie published and also one traditional published just to get their take on the publishing industry and their own experience being working authors Mm -hmm. so we are going to talk to three authors for the next every other week until you know we've listened to them all yeah so (laughs) we have harlequin author carrie Mm -hmm. nichols we have um she's kind of like a hybrid self-pubbed tracy brody Mm -hmm. who i really want to read her green beret book it sounds so good and then we have a local indie author Mm -hmm. Um, who also has done a little bit of like hybrid publishing with Nikki Greenwood. Mm-hmm. But yeah, make sure to go check all those out. And thank you again so much to Christina and Lauren. Go pre-order their book, Something Wilder. It releases May 17th. I have read it. And let me tell you again, it was so good. I think we're going to have to read it for Book Club, Jen. Probably. It sounds like it's good. I love a treasure hunt. It was fun mm-hmm. and funny. And instead of the one bed, they have to share a sleeping bag. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. That's funny. It was great. and we will see you next time for a larger discussion of indie publications and some of the perceived issues in modern publishing jen what do we always say bye guys